be sure to follow our website on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz, Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stull. Also, if you'd like to support the Hockey Hurts podcast, you can do so by going to the podcast page and sign up for a monthly donation. It is much appreciated. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for July 18th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Uh, And this week's podcast, we're going to... Cover off on a few of the bigger transactions that's happened since our last podcast two weeks ago. Took a little summer break slash winter break for our Australian friend. And um, we got the Patrick Sharp trade. We have the Ryan Kessler, the very big Ryan Kessler extension, and uh, also Vladimir Tarasenko's extension. And we'll probably get into some other stuff as well um i suppose we'll start with the anaheim ducks ryan kessler he got a six-year 41.25 million dollar contract which carries a 6.875 million annual cap hit uh that is quite a bit of money for somebody on the quote-unquote wrong side of 30 it's the length for me. I, I had no problem with the actual cap hit. That doesn't bother me. It's just the length of the it's the length of the deal. I think if you look at the cap hit, he's worth every dollar of the cap hit, but he's not worth every year of that deal. So that's the only concern I have for Anaheim. But they, even with that particular signing, they're still down in the bottom third of um, cap space used. So... It's not like they've made that signing and they're squished up against the cap. No, that's a very good point. Cap cap space is relative. Uh, if you got a lot of it, then you can kind of go and make a, a few of the riskier deals. But he will be 31 at the end of August, and his best hockey is behind him. So they are paying a premium for past production. Uh, he's probably not going to improve as as we move forward Uh, had an okay well here's the deal with anaheim for years they've had ryan getzlaff but they've really never had since um andrew mcdonald left them to go to st louis they haven't had a number two center so i think now that they finally have one they just went all out to keep that person to avoid the and process of finding another you one. Can't, you can't blame them for doing that either. It's just it's a it's a it's a long contract for a player like that, but I suppose you get other expiring contracts coming through further on down the track. The next couple of years is important for them. Um, after that they then have to start working at what they want to do with the construction of that team. So it's a, a short sighted um, Long-term deal, if that makes sense. My concern is he really hasn't played at a super high level since 2010-11 when he had 41 goals and 73 points. Every year since then, he's failed to hit 50 points, and his highest goal total was 25. So, you know, I think there should be a little bit concern with that. What, but it comes down to the, what are they wanting out of him? Like he takes the hard minutes away from Getzlaff now. 
it allows Getzlaff to play a more offensive style of game. So it, it, you've got to try and work out what they want Kessler to do, and if they get out of Kessler everything that they, they want, then it's worth the money for them. You, you're exactly right in regards to his point production's dropping, but if he can take the hard minutes away from Getzlaff and Getzlaff and Perry can be even more dominant than they currently are, well, they win. Well, I think there's no doubt that he's certainly taken a, a burden of responsibility off of Getzlaff, as I mentioned. They've their best second-line center, if I perhaps I'm wrong, since McDonald was Saku Koivu. Is there anybody else that out the there that I'm kind of forgetting? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head, no. So he does do that. Um, how long can he do it for? Because that's, that's why the length is the issue. He's the kind of player that you could see break down physically because of style of play. And I saw somebody make a, a very good comparison of this contract to when Chris Drury got his big money moving from Buffalo to the New York Rangers. And yep. not that I'm saying for sure that he's going to break down like that, but I, I, I think it's a fair fair to have that kind of concern with that contract. Totally agree. So we'll, we'll see. I mean... I don't know if they had to go that long with the years or that high with the cap hit, but like you said, they're they're sitting pretty with their their cap status because um, one area where they spend minimal amount of money compared to other teams is their goaltending. I think between even if you combine all three of their goaltenders, they got Anton Hudobin, Frederick Anderson, John Gibson. You're only talking about. Uh, 3.8 million combined for three goalies. So, it's that is a brilliant example of your argument of don't spend money on a goalie. The way they've constructed that team, it's a really, really good example. Of, unless you've got the elite of the elite, I Lundqvist or Renee or something like that, don't throw money away in that position and strengthen your team elsewhere. And it got them all the way to the all the way to the um, Western Conference Finals, and um, if their star players had have turned up in game six or seven, then they'd probably get through to the, the finals. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really good example of constructing a team from the blue line out rather than the goal line out. Yeah, and they're, even their defense core, they don't spend a ton of money. Kevin Bieksa at $4.6 million for next year, and then $4.0 million for the next two years on the, his extension he signed. Cam Fowler, only four mil. Uh, Simone Dupre, a 900000 for next year. Hampus Lindholm, 900000 So they have Sammy Vatnin, only $1.2 million. Pretty good, cap-wise. Cap but yeah. the Ducks are interesting. They made a lot of okay moves, and then... There's a few that leave me, like, going out of their way to acquire James Wisniewski only to, to move him on and then acquire Kevin Bieksa, who I think is already in decline. His uh, decourcy numbers the last three years have all been negative in Vancouver, and basically decourcy is just a way of measuring up a player to the usage that he's been given. 
So whatever usage the coach in Vancouver has given him the last few years, he's underperformed in that specific role. So to make 4.6 mil and underperform, and you go out of your way to acquire that, I, I, I don't know. Well, it's 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 interesting. Does he get used differently? I mean, the theory being the ex that comes in for Boschman, I suppose, in regards to the roles played, the different hockey players, don't get me wrong, but in regards to where they fit in that lineup, it'll be really interesting to see what they do because, you know, the relative usage and the performance of that usage is kind of important. So, I don't know. We'll see how it pans out for them. But then you have... You know, Chris Stewart at 1.7 mil, that, that's not a cap hit that's going to hurt them. But he's he's a guy that if he's not producing tangible offense, he's he's a real terrible possession player. Uh, Sean Horkoff, older guy. I don't know. It's an interesting mix on that roster. I mean, you know, you can often see the Penguins get criticized for just riding their big horses, but... It really does feel like a team, an Anaheim team, that just ride their three or four big players and away they go. So we'll see whether they can repeat. I mean, they've had the last two years they've been good. Can they go for a third uh, under that same construction? I'll give them credit, though. They didn't pay Matt Bolesky, which, you know, you're riding shotgun with Getzlaff and Perry more power to him for cashing out but if i'm the ducks i'm like yeah well we we know why that happened yeah so anything else to add on uh ducks slash kessler um no 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 i think we covered that off pretty well okay patrick sharp to dallas and cameron i'm gonna i'm gonna pump your tires up the first place i heard somebody speculate Patrick Sharp to the Dallas Stars was on this very podcast about three weeks ago. So, well done. Yeah, but the, the term there is speculate. It's almost like, you know, needle in a haystack sort of stuff with these moves. But it just it seemed like the right fit. So, it's the only thing I've got right about Dallas in regards to predictions, though, when you think about it. Um, so, yeah. You know, look, it's, it's one of those things where he, he's going to be a good fit. I mean, they've ended up with, they've literally ended up with, Three Chicago Blackhawks in their in their roster over the last over the last month. So um, we'll see how that turns out. Their back end is still weak, and that was the thing that worried you about them going into the previous season. And it still stands; it's still an issue. But I thought they did really well to get Patrick Sharp for what they did. I thought that. Uh, I'm not very big on, on Trevor Daly. I think that you could make the argument that he was uh, the Dallas Stars defenseman that underperformed the most last year. And to to trade him away and his cap hit, I think it's about three and a half-ish, something like that. I can... 3.3 mil. And... That helps alleviate the sting of the $5.9 million coming their way with Patrick Sharp. And they also trade away a fourth liner in Ryan Garbutt. So that's a far cry from the top six winger, top prospect in a first-round pick that got thrown out there a few weeks ago yeah. about Patrick Sharp. Uh, you know, everybody knew he had to be moved. And... 
they didn't bite on that price, nor did they have to, and Dallas took advantage of a team that needed to make a move, and I and I really like the move for Dallas. I think they have a really interesting top six forward group now, and I know you alluded to that was why you targeted Dallas as, as your speculation team because they have a really cool top six forward grouping. They do. They, they look great up front. It's one of those things where they actually – their back six, while it's constructed differently – the Pittsburghs, the way the front of the Dallas roster is looking, it, it's looking scarily good in that top six. The, the bottom six got a little bit of work to do, but they'll only go as far as their defensive core can, can allow them to. The puck's got to get to their forwards. If the puck's stuck in their defensive zone, it doesn't matter how good their top six are, they're not going to get a chance to utilize that skill. So if that if the, the mix of the old and the, and the new come together really well with Dallas this year, then... The sky's the limit, really. I mean, they have Jason Spezza, Patrick Sharp, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, Elesh Hemsky, uh, Cody Eakin, and Valerie Nishushkin. It's He's pretty the big good. One. He's the big one for me. It's someone that bleeds into the third line, too, because I just named more than six forwards. Yep, and that that's where if you can get quality players that play in the top six and you have to filter them into the bottom six... That's where your depth comes. You don't have to try and find bottom six depth by finding good bottom six players. And I didn't even mention Patrick Eves, who is one of my more favorite potential free agents for a cheap bottom six help, and they retained his services for 1.1 mil. And if he's just a depth guy... That's he, good. <laughs> he was really good until he took a slap shot off the face last year, and that's not his fault. I mean, that that's a fluke. No, it's the thing. Like that's a, it's a good recovery signing. It's making sure that someone that can help your depth doesn't walk away for a little bit more. Um, that roster does look solid. It's just hopefully that back six of theirs can come together and be a little bit better. And it would be nice for them if they actually get some um, NHL quality goalie. Well, Carol Littman is so up and down. He ends up being a. a you know, an average NHL goalie, but they need Anthony Emmy to at least come in and provide what he provided San Jose. Here's my issue. Now, they've hit home runs with, like, Tyler Sagan making 5.7 mil and Jamie Benn making around 5 mil with those kind of contracts. I mean, those guys are worth way more than that. They're probably right. going to make Getzlaff Perry money when they're up for free agency. Um... They're goaltending. Kerry Letton makes six close to six mil, and Antti Niemi makes four point five million. They're each signed for three more years. Yeah, they're paying ten and a half mil for goaltending. It's ridiculous. So that's a little little much there. They're going to have to do something as far as moving. Well, they just signed Niemi, so they're probably going to attempt to move Letton in. They, they, I think they're probably just hoping Lettinen comes out, has a first, uh, good first half, and then maybe they can shuffle him off somewhere. So well, You'd want to shuffle him off to try and get, you know, quote-unquote experience in the back end, I suppose. But you've got to sort of think about what they require where. But, yeah, you'd want to sh- shuffle Lettinen off. Um, he's just too inconsistent. He can be fantastic at stretches, but he just can't hold it together. He can't stay healthy, you know. 
they do have an amazing contract on their books with uh, John Klingberg, who is uh, their standout defenseman. Uh, they kind of flew under the radar a little bit, but for 4.2 mil till 2022, that's going to look really good by the end of that contract. I think he's going to yeah. be a very good player. Yep, and at the end of that contract, he'll be just in time to get paid out big time. So you won't necessarily get that from Dallas, but you'll be in a position to get it from someone. But I thought it was nice that they, they signed Johnny Oduya, who I think at worst is a lateral move from Trevor Daly. So even what they traded away to get Patrick Sharp, they made up for it in free agency immediately from the same team that they stole Sharp from. And it shows you the tight bind that those two contracts of Sharp, of Kane and Taves put them in. It shows you how hard it is once your star players get paid to keep it all together. So it's going to be a tough task. Yeah, and I think everybody knew that it was going to be difficult for them to navigate players going from a net $12 million to $20 million. I mean, that's an $8 million jump. Yeah. And I think they actually started okay. I know we talked about it on the other podcast, but I, I, I'm fine with what Chicago did with the the Brandon Saad trade. I, I think Marco Dano at that cheap rate has the potential to produce just as much as Saad did with the big guns. Uh, the sharp trade leaves a lot to be desired, though, because they didn't yeah, even they cut didn't... salary, really. No, that's true. I mean, yeah, the point true. of getting sharp off the books is to get that cap space. But if you're going to pay three and a half mil a middling defenseman that gets given big minutes and just doesn't do a good job, I I don't know. I would have rather just pawned him off for just draft picks. Who knows? Maybe he pair him up with Duncan Keith and he does fine. I I don't know. Well, you can pair almost anyone up with Duncan Keith and they'll improve. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if they'll go that route. <laughs> but you could also drag down Duncan Keith. So it's, it's a fine line. So that would be Dallas covered. Do we want to talk about Tarasenko? Yeah, he's pretty awesome. And I think that... Getting him locked into seven and a half mil for the next seven or eight years is uh, pretty great. I think that's totally fair. In fact, it may be a bargain as we continue to move on because there are some players in the league that I go out of my way to watch, and, and he's one of them. Definitely in agreement with that. I. I look at that Paul Stastny contract now and I just get there and go, he just hasn't performed up to the numbers they needed. Year one was last year with that. Um, You know, he's insurance for what's going to happen either midway through this next season or at the end of the year with David Backes. And... He makes four and a half mil right now, and I—that's like a Ryan Kessler situation, 
where you don't want to get locked into high term and, and, and big yeah. money with that kind of uh, style of player. He's already he's older than Kessler. He's he's 31. Yeah, I think a lot of people think he's younger than he is. Which yeah, which always he, made me chuckle with the uh, remember all the uh, BS of Genny Malkin rumors from a few months back. Yeah, that would always have the blues with with back. He's coming back like he's like some kind of big piece, and it's like okay, he's a pending UFA at 31 years old. You're gonna have to pay a premium for it. Yeah, that sounds pretty pretty stupid. <laughs> yes, I agree. So yeah, look, but. It's great for the fans of St. Louis. It's, it's great for the team of St. Louis to have Tarasenko tied up uh, for that long. Um, yeah, that's he actually does, He's a star yeah. player that they locked in at a fair rate for a long time. That's that's tremendous. That's I like. I like to see the franchises that draft smart, or, or maybe catch a break, get rewarded and have both sides make out for it because seven and a half mil isn't chump change. Tarasenko is probably going to be worth closer to nine or 10 mil by the end of it. But you know what? He'll make good money. Team gets good cap hit. They, they have one of the most exciting players in the NHL for years to come. Uh, but they are an interesting team. Uh, one that I believe Mr. Travis Yost singled out as a team to trade with when we had him on and since then the TJ Oshie trade for Brower. I mean that <laughs> I, I didn't like that for St. Louis. No, it, it feels to me as though that's a team that has listened to the the media hype the old school media hype of they have to be tougher to beat the teams that have been beating them in the playoffs and that's not going to that's not going to do it. Getting 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 tougher and slower is not going to beat Chicago or Anaheim or, or LA under the assumption they've got a team left to actually uh, make the playoffs. Um, it's it's an interesting it's a change of direction. Put it that way. They, they lost a they traded more grit for less skill. If that makes sense. Yeah. Which, you know, I think Ken Hitchcock's on a one-year deal. Yeah, this is it. So this is, there's a lot of potential changes with uh, David Backus being a UFA. Even Brower's a UFA. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. You know, uh, there's there's a lot of things that, that could change in with this. If these guys get off to a poor start, a quarter of you know, 20, 25 games of the season, there could be changes that quickly if they get off to a poor start. It'll be the coach will be fired, and I reckon a couple of players will get shipped. Jaden Jaden Schwartz, RFA, that's going to be an interesting negotiation. He's not going to probably settle for anything less than five mil. It's it's they're in a. They're in a tough spot because when it looked like they were primed to go, they just hit teams that were hotter than them at the time. You know, you have a look at the LA. The LA. LA twice, Chicago once, I believe. Yeah, and, and all of those years that I think – and then obviously this year they ran into a team with a, a hot goaltender. Um, 
you know, they, they've sort of run into all the wrong teams at the wrong time. Um, and that's just the reality of, of a, a competitive conference. You, you yeah, sort of that's, kind of, that's the reality of the Western Conference. You, you are right. And well, even worse, it's the reality of that division. Like that's why this. That's why I hate this new playoff format. This divisional stuff just allows weaker teams to get through to a round, and, and better teams not to. Like Vancouver and, and Calgary should have been seven and eight. They should have been knocked out in the first round. Instead, one of those two teams gets through, and a team like St. Louis doesn't get through. And they they are arguably one more fun to watch anyway, even with. Hitchcock as a coach, um, and two, a, a better team. But it's the way the NHL set it up. So uh, they've sort of been shafted a little bit at the moment, um, and it looks as though the what you'd call the core are starting to get picked apart a little bit. You know, There's a new core coming through, but the core that they've sort of built around is, is definitely slowly being extracted. No argument there. How do you think Oshie will go over with, with Mr. Trotz? Pretty awesome if they stick him with Ovechkin and Backstrom. You'd think so, wouldn't you? That that will be a, a really fun three players to watch for the course of the year. So hopefully they'll stay healthy and we'll get to see that. I don't know if they'll go that route because Justin Williams could sneak in on the right wing on that spot too. But just... and, that's so, and that's so disappointing for Capitals fans. I mean, what a great job yeah. to get two, because they've always kind of been thin opposite of OV and uh, Backstrom. There's always, they've had to put Joel Ward up there, which has kind of been, you know, he, he did okay for what he is, but let's be honest, he's he's not TJ Oshie or, or Justin Williams, and yeah. those guys are good offensive players. They don't put up what people would consider star offensive numbers, but I think you, you need to realize that 60 points is top-line level offense in the modern NHL. That That's the hardest, that's one of the hardest things um, in regards to trying to gauge what you should expect out of top-line players. Now, like, people are rightfully suggesting that Connor McDavid will get, you know, a point a game, like Sid did in his rookie year. But the game's not the same as it was back then. No, it's so, been a sharp decline offensively for for about ten years now. Yeah, so you can't you, you don't go into the year seeing McDavid if he does fall short of that point, and you say that he underperformed because it won't it won't be him. It will be the way the league is. If the league leaders score 120 points, definitely expect 82 points out of him. But if the league leaders score you know, what was it, 80 points this year or 83 or whatever it was this year, you can't expect that out of a rookie. Not in this climate, not the way it's being played at the moment. Yeah, that's got to change. We all know it. I, I don't know if it will. I hope it does, but can't be um, can't be too certain that it will, unfortunately. That, that signing of Oshie is great because they've still got $8 million in cap space, the Capitals. So they could do something elsewhere on their roster if they felt like they needed to. Yeah, they're in, like they're they're... in an okay spot. They did lose Mike Green. That that stings, and, and Eric Fair kind of stings as well. But they've still got to sign Holtby, and I would assume he's probably going to want something around about $5 mil a year. 
more. I bet um, she gets more. Well, then their cap then their cap space is basically toast because you need to have some form of buffer between the 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 ceiling and, and what you've got remaining. Um, so maybe they are quite content with what they've got, and they should be. What they've got is actually quite nice. I quite like what their roster is. Um, Still so need to sign Marcus Johansson too. Yeah, there you go. So they're they're basically done making any more new any more moves. I would suggest. It's done well though. I think they're one of the more improved. That roster will be very damaging in that um, metropolitan division and the league all around, really. Yeah, but to piggyback on your uh, kind of your offensive point that you were making, I did a blog on Crosby Malkin the other the other day, um, and and what we can expect from them moving into their late 20s or early 30s and you know I, I came to the conclusion that they got about five more years of being really really good and then a few of being okay and then who knows <laughs> yeah you just well it's the thing I mean it's it's frustrating in that sense because you'd like to see top quality players survive longer in the league but it requires the league to to create an environment for them to do that so you know Kane and Taves are in another are in the, the same situation um, you look at Tyler Sagan and, and Jamie Ben you want them to, to last through as well McDavid and, and, and Eichel you want them to you know not have their production drop at 33 you'd like them to, to play through until they're 38, 39, and it's not it, it, athletes are proving that they can still skate at an elite level later in their career. Some freaks like Yager, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, even this is the thing. Like Jerome McGinley is still productive, but he's not productive for his cap hit. But if the game was set up in a way where he could still be the be close to the player he was, i.e. penalties are called, he gets more power play opportunities, those sorts of things, then you get players like that around for a bit longer. So, I mean, that's the asphalt for paying him what they paid him, but he can still produce. They've just got to create the environment for these offensive players to do that. We want the game to be fun and exciting. Um, look at Tarasenko. Is he going to wear down because he doesn't get the opportunities that he should? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, fact of the matter is, the top point-per-game players of all time, you're talking Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mike Bossy, Bobby Orr, Marcel Dion, and, and Peter Stasny, Paul's father. Uh, three of those guys, Lemieux, Bossy, and Orr, missed tons of time. In fact, Bobby Orr was cooked by the time he was 27. His last four years, were, he was injured, which includes 27 through 30 years old. He and then he was retired. Uh, Mike Bossy was retired at 31. Lemieux chose to retire at 32, then come back and tear the league up again. And that was through the dead puck year. He still tore it up. Yeah, the the, the fun thing I got this color coded chart that shows where the players finished in points per game relative to the league rank during their years, and I color coded the greenish kind of stuff to be. Uh, number one overall in top five. All the green is in, in the 20s. Other than 
Uh, Wayne Gretzky had a, at 33 led the league in points per game. And that was actually the first year Mario retired. <laughs> um, but Mario, other than his rookie year, he finished ninth overall at 1.37 points per game. And that should be striking in its own right that that was good for ninth when last year that would have been just killed everybody. That would have walked away with the with the RS. So, yeah, that's, that's the thing, right? It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next three or four years in regards to what the league considers a penalty and what's not, and, and that'll determine what quality product you get on the ice. But to add to that, Is Mario that... Lemieux, a uh, little tidbit of information, after he finished ninth overall his rookie year at age 19, he was either first or second in the league in points per game every single year of his career. So, Penguins fans, it's not always like that. So, just enjoy the two. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's unreal. He was even at 37 years old, 1.36 points per game, second overall in the league. Yeah, it's just not It's not right, is it? Like, yeah. <sighs> oh, I, was, I was wrong on that one Wayne Gretzky thing, too. I have it based on age. The, the year Lemieux retired and I said Gretzky was first. They're not the same age, so that's that's not right. Yeah, yeah. I read that wrong. What? Um, moving on from nostalgia. What else do you want to have a yabber about? Um, I guess just quickly. I know we've covered him uh, in the past. Uh, Cody Franzen being available still very interesting to me. I think maybe he overestimated his market value a little bit. And there's one team that I think that could really do something interesting and really help their playoff chances, and that that's the and I've mentioned it in the past, the Buffalo Sabres. I think they have an opportunity, given their incredible amount of cap space, to give a deal that some people on the surface would be like, You are just stupid. But really it wouldn't be. It'd be a one year deal. They have loads of they have fifteen million in cap space with everybody pretty much signed. And I would give friends in a one-year deal at like six and a half, seven mil. Cap hits are relative, and and right now they have a billionaire owner, and it, signing him to that's not going to hurt them from a, the ability to uh, at the trade deadline or anything of that nature. I'm sorry, they have close to thirteen mil in cap space, but you get my point. I do. So how? No, this is the thing that I find interesting about Cody Franzen. A lot of people that have had him on their teams, I'll say fans, don't like what he offers and provides at all. So what is it about Cody Franzen that has you excited enough to want to have him on the team that you, you follow in Pittsburgh and then suggest that Buffalo should go and do what a lot of people would think would be absolutely nuts, a one-year seven-mil deal. So what is it about Franzen that tickles your fancy? Every year of his career, positive D Corsi, which means he overperforms in the role he's been given. In some of those Toronto roles, he was given significant time. And I think we've, we've said in the past that his Nashville sample size this year, people considered it a failure when really I don't think – 
I'm sorry, his latest Nashville tenure, because he was a Predator before he was a Leaf. Yes. Um, yes. He killed his role in Nashville. He A decorsey of 7.12 is very high. That means he's well overperforming it. So don't confuse Peter Laviolette sheltering him in a, in a bogus role because they wanted to use Shea Weber, who is one of the more overrated defensemen in the league, in my opinion. And that... When I say overrated, don't can misconstrue that to, to, to me saying he's a bad defenseman, which I do not believe. I think he's a good defenseman, but one that people think is at superstar level, and he's just not that anymore. If you get my drift yep. on that. I get what you're saying. It's, it's, people still consider him a superstar, and in your opinion, he's instead of being a superstar, he's just slid down to probably a star. You're not saying that he's... He's terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that he's underperforming in his usage, I would suggest, maybe. Yeah, I would definitely suggest that since Ryan Suter left. I think both him and Suter have, have not done great at all. Um, and Franzen, he played bottom pairing minutes, and he killed it. You know, coach put him yep. there. He did his job there. So you you can say and, and make up stuff that he was playing poorly, but the numbers indicate absolutely the opposite. So if you get there and you go, he killed it as a third-line defenseman, he goes to Buffalo for a year, he's going to probably get put into a top-two pairing, you'd almost suggest, in regards to looking at the depth that that team's got. Yep. Is that gap between his overperformance as a third pairing and being asked to perform as a top pairing – You'd almost assume that he would at least be neutral in his relative decorsey. Well, he's been an extreme positive. His lowest decorsey was last year with the Leafs, at, but it was a positive 2.52, so he outperformed that. Um, but in what role? And, was, he, was, and he was in a larger role with Toronto, so I think he can handle it. And that's the thing, though. If, he's, if he was being asked to play top-pairing minutes in Toronto and did that, he'd be fine in Buffalo. Especially but, a much improved Buffalo team. I mean, yeah. he was doing well. Toronto was just as much a dumpster fire almost as Buffalo yep. the last yep. few uh, years. And Buffalo, as we've said, they are adding, they added a, a, quite a number of top six players. Much uh, they're, they're super interesting. Ryan O'Reilly, Evander Kane, um, Jack Eichel. Pretty solid three to add to your uh, top six. To, to compliment Tyler Ennis, Matt Molson, and uh, Sam Reinhardt could be the wild card that comes in and plays really well. I know he he, he looked really good in the, the prospect stuff for, for Buffalo last weekend. Throwing that stuff, throwing that kind of money at Frandon for a year makes sense. It's not going to kill their cap this year. For that it's not team kill... it does, yes, absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. Um, it's not going to kill their cap. The year after, because it's only a one-year deal, so they're not going to put themselves into that. You sign him for a five-year, seven-mil deal, and that's when you start to get yourself into trouble. So I understand your point with the with the one-year, seven-mil idea. I was just wanting to get uh, try and get out there why it is you're so bullish on on friends because I see a lot of negative comments on him, um, and you're not the only person that enjoys the the advanced stats that uh, are positive in their point of view of, of Katie France. And so I was just trying to get another perspective in regards to verbalizing why people are keen on France as a, as a defenseman. Well, there is risk with him. If you were to get into longer term, his foot speed's not incredible by any stretch. In fact, it, it could be considered mediocre to poor, 
But Chris Pronger's, and I'm not comparing the two, but Chris Pronger's foot speed was not great, and he made a pretty decent career out of it. So if you can think and anticipate and get yourself in a position mentally uh, to make up for maybe some of the slower foot speed, uh, it can be done. If your first pass is good out of the zone, you don't need to be lightning quick as a defensive because you don't have to recover from the error. So... It's one of those things where if you can think quick, make the right first play, you don't have to be lightning quick. It's one of those things. Like Paul Martin's a prime example of that. He is by no means a a roadrunner on the ice, but very rarely is he out of position and and very rarely um, do people sit there and complain about his lack of foot speed because he knows where to be. Yeah, pretty much. I think he would be exactly what they need to get themselves um, closer to that playoff push without compromising their long-term big picture of roster construction. And that's perfect. Exactly. I kind of really want them to be right on the cusp of the playoffs at the end of the year. I just think it would be great. They may be there. I mean, I'm picking them to make the playoffs. Um, Oh, I know that. I know I'm kind of more bullish than most on it, but I really do like... Uh, a lot of what they have. So. Hard not to. Um, Cody Franzen also, according to. Dear. Oh boy, I don't know if I can pronounce the gentleman's name. Dearin <laughs> Mahabin. And I fully apologize in advance. Um, He's a contributor to the New York Times and and MLB.com and the Canadian press and this and that. And he had a tweet the other day that I I kind of sourced in one of my blogs. He said, sources tell me the Pens, Sabres, and Bruins are pursuing friends in the hardest. So um, once again, maybe the Sabres are thinking along those lines. And um, interesting to see Pittsburgh in there as well. They were a team that was tied to him at the trade deadline but didn't want to pay the uh, first round uh, asking price one because they couldn't they already (laughs) moved it for David Perron which I still think is a fine trade I don't regret I I don't think they should have any regrets about that trade I think Perron's pretty poised to have a pretty uh, very nice season in the Penguins top six so it'll just be if they Resign him. If they resign him, I'm you know two thumbs up. If they don't resign him, I'm only one thumbs up, in a sense for that trade. Yeah, that's pretty fair. That's a fair way of looking at it. And also, it depends on what the terms of that extension are. Uh, yep. It's tough to say. He could blow up. Yeah. A full year with Crosby and Malkin, it's either obscure. or. But if he doesn't, that's got to keep his price down. Hey, dude, we gave you a Sid and Gino. What's the deal here? Yeah, you can't perform here. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, um, care to do any uh, questions, listener questions? Go for it. All right, let me uh, track one down. Fat Pat, 1103. If you haven't touched on it already, what's your biggest concern for the 2015-16 Pittsburgh Penguins roster as it's currently constructed? He says his is a lack of defense depth, and I agree with him. 
I think once you get past Latang and Mata, there's not a lot of for sure things. There isn't any for sure things in there. That's it. You've got, you know, you've got, you've got Ian Cole, who could be, might be a, an extremely competent second pairing defenseman. You've got Dirk Pouliot, who has all the potential in the world, but definitely had typical defensive growing pains in his own own zone last year. Um, you've got, well, you, you've finally got Ben Lovejoy playing the role he should be, which is a 5-6. Um, you've still got Rob Scuderi on the roster. Um, Brian Dumoulin, you, you want to have come through, um, but he's got to come through. He's got to push that roster spot. They need they need an extra an extra body with NHL experience that you feel comfortable relying on if and unfortunately when someone like Latang goes down. It's just it's the reality of the way the roster's constructed this year. They've they've put more money into the top six and they're relying on that youth that's been drafted to finally step up. Yep. And I think, you know, Ali Mata has his own set of concerns coming off the shoulder stuff, but apparently he's well on track to be ready for training camp, so that should be... Yeah, yeah, but they said that last year and he came back too early, so I don't want him to... You know what I mean? I was Yeah, really but he's angry. been out a long time. No, I know that. I know that. And it's the... You look at the way the Calgary Flames handled Sam Bennett's shoulder, and you look at the way the Penguins handled Mata's, and big difference. So... I'll be happy if he's slow on the recovery. Let me put it that way. Uh, Tim Erickson, also a guy that they acquired in the Kessel trade. He's had some NHL time in the past. Uh, he's kind of a fringe bottom pair guy, though. Yeah, but if he's coming in to help when Rob Scuderi breaks his foot from blocking another shot, then that's okay. Uh, well, it's not okay that Rob Scuderi's playing, but okay. you <laughs> He's off the ice because he's been playing. Come on, dude, give me something. Um, but, yeah, it, the, the question is right. It, it's definitely the depth on, on the back end. And to double up on top of that is can Marc-Andre Fleury replicate what he did last year with a defensive corpse that is probably going to get pushed around a little bit easier, he's probably going to face a higher quality of shot than he did last year. Well, so here's the good be... news. Study I did for Hockey Prospectus, I uh, looked at uh, the shot volume against over the course of the last seven or eight years, like Fenwick, Fenwick against per 60, so basically a goaltender's workload. Because yep. it's not just the shots that tire a goalie out. It, if you've ever played goal, in a, and I've, I've done it recreationally, just getting set and in, in, in your stance and doing it over and over when there's sustained pressure, even though you're not getting shots, it, it, it gets fatiguing. You, you get fatigued by getting set all the time, getting up to the top of the paint and keep shuffling over. That gets tiring even when you don't get the shots through because sometimes you're going down in your butterfly and it's getting blocked, but it's still, you know, making you work. Yeah, you get what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? And oh, the, right. and the thing, if, you, if the shot doesn't get to you, you're still saving the shot. That's the reality. Yes, mentally and physically, you're, you're in that position. You can't assume it's going to get blocked by your teammate. Um, 
But what I did find out is that goaltender save percentage does not have a correlation to shot volume against. So um, if Marc-Andre Fleury is to have a, a, a good year again next year, it'll be because of him. And if he has a bad year next year, it will be because of him. And I, I, the correlation I found was like under 1%. Well, that's not really a correlation. <laughs> yeah, so I, I found so that interesting. That... And, and the genesis of that study was because it was basically the, being in western New York, seeing the Buffalo Sabres, having to trade Jonas Enroth and Michael Neuvirth because they were playing too good. The, the 2014-15 Buffalo Sabres are like the worst team in since – They've collected the possession stuff, but they were 15th overall in goaltending. And to me, I was like, well, wait a second. How how could they possibly do that well when they're setting records for shots against? And uh, that made me look into it further. And and Minnesota Wild were also a part of why I looked into it, because they were a great possession team getting terrible goaltending. And it's kind of the opposite of Buffalo. So I, I decided to look into it. And what I found was goalies, you can judge them on their own merit. Don't start blaming the teams in front of them as much as people like to. So shot quality doesn't matter either. Shot quality is built into traditional possession metrics, they found. Right. Yep. It's, it's, That's why I asked because it's I like, you know, Fleur is one of my favorite players. And, you know, I'd like to defend him when people do get on his case, but it's one of those things where it's proving that it's, it's either him or it's, it's either him being great or it's him being bad. So next year will, will be interesting because it will be an upward trend if he manages to even at least plateau out of what he provided last year for Pittsburgh. Yeah, and, and the thing with that is I, I like Thomas Grice as a backup goaltender. I, I thought maybe a team like Buffalo would give him a chance to be a starter. Um, he's with the Islanders now, but Jeff Zatkoff doesn't exactly uh, give me the same confidence that that Grice did with his track record as a, being a more than competent backup. So Flurry gonna have to play good. Yep, no, and, and and that's fine. It's one of those things where I don't want Flurry playing sixty games a year and. With Grice, you know, I was more than happy for, for Grice to play 30 and Fleury to play 50. But now it looks like it's going to be a 60-20 split, and I think that's too many games. If you want your goalie to, to go deep, I, I don't think 60-plus um, 24 playoff games is a good idea. And then um, one of our other questions comes from actually one of my favorite Pittsburgh Penguin follows on Twitter. Lyle Kosis, who who writes for Pensburg, he does a lot of great analytical stuff for that website. I really enjoy when he puts out work. He asks, what is the best version of the Pens' bottom six to start the year? Is it enough to be competitive? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, good, pretty good question. <laughs> There's an argument. This is the thing. Like I, you get there and go. Sutter's going to be a part of the roster at the start of the year. There's no two ways about it. So you've got to try and work out how you're going to get good production out of your third line. The question is, 
what do you consider good production out of your third line? Um, I still like the thought process of having a third line that doesn't get a lot of shots against because, in theory, your third line should be trying to shut down at least the second-best line of the team you're playing against. So if you can have very few shots against, um, if your course you against is good, I'm happy with my third line. Let me put it to you that way. So I, I don't know what they want out of their third line. They've said they want four scoring lines. If, if that's the case, then um, be prepared for whoever plays with Brandon Sutter to end up in their own zone. Well, here's the thing. Trading for Phil Kessel creates that nice trickle-down effect that we were talking about with Dallas. Certainly does. So let's just hypothetically, I'm going to piece together the top six, and then I'll get to Lyle's um, question about the bottom six. Um, Sidney Crosby, David Perron, Patrick Hornquist. Very good line last year. Let's just roll with that for now. Obviously, we don't know for sure if Kessel, which one he's going to play with, but for now, I'm just going to put Crosby with Perron and Hornquist. Um, Evgeny Malkin then plays with Phil Kessel. And basically, what comes into question, who plays left wing with Evgeny Malkin? And I don't know the answer to that. It could be as many as four players they have on the roster right now. It could be Chris Kunitz, and I think that ultimately he will earn that spot. I think his underlying numbers last year were pretty good. Some people are going to be like, uh, Ryan, you're, you're freaking crazy. Uh, his goal, his <laughs> goal scoring wasn't good enough. Um, it, it just wasn't. He, he didn't score enough goals to, to merit um, being next to a Crosby or Malkin. But his possession numbers, which are uh, a better measure of future success were great so i think that if he can get his shooting percentage up from his career low last year um and he had that broken foot and he had the iron defeat there there are a lot of things that were going on last year i'm willing to be open-minded to the uh, for him to to come back and maybe take that spot but the other guys that could do it pascal dupuy could play left wing there a lot of speed. I know he's been injured, but in kind of different ways. And he's older, but less wear and tear the last two years. <laughs> he's a positive out of it. Um, Bo Bennett playing left wing is not exactly his kind of thing, but he's had really great numbers with Evgeny Malkin, almost 60% possession when they're together. And uh, the kind of off-the-radar signing, Sergei Plotnikov, which I think a lot of people are kind of just putting him on that spot. But I don't know. I, I, I'd i be more inclined to put Kunitz there than, than Plotnikov at this point. So if we, run, if we run with Kunitz taking that second line left wing, it leaves us with the other three to filter in through the bottom six. And, and this is a much better option than they had last year. It's a much better option than they've had in three years, having Pascal Dupuy being on the third line. Yeah. Um, Plotnikov is an unknown player to this point. Um, but here's, here's an interesting line combination that I think could happen. Um, Sutter obviously being the 3C until further notice. 
Uh, Dupuis does not have to play right wing. He could play left wing. And you pop Bo Bennett up on right wing. True. And then you have kind of that fourth line with Plotnikov. I assume he'll be on the roster. He has an out where he can go back. If he doesn't make the NHL roster, he can back out. I just don't know enough about him. Uh, Some of the people I talk to, they say skating is is kind of his issue and that he's okay. And then um, Adam French, who's my hockey buzz colleague that that's actually over in Russia said that he's more of a fourth line agitator type than he is going to be a top six kind of guy. So maybe fourth line is where he ends up, but we still don't know who the fourth line center is. Well, a lot of people have been penciling in Sunquist to do that. He could, I'm not going to rule that out, but I don't think that's quite a sure thing as some people think. So where do they get that fourth line center from? Well, they did sign an under-the-radar AHL player who I got a first-hand look at when he played for the Rochester Americans here, uh, and that's Kevin Porter. And he's one of those tweener players. AHL, he has pretty pretty decent offensive numbers. Um, NHL, he's played for Colorado. He's played for the Sabres. Um, it's kind of a dark horse candidate for that if they if they don't pick anybody else up. But he's a point-per-game player in the AHL, which, well, it's not quite a point-per-game player, but he's, he's put up offense at that level. And, and if you're getting away from that grit stuff for your – fourth line and you're trying to go for more of a scoring line I'd, I'd much rather give a guy like that a chance to kind of see what he can do offensively in that role I think the one thing I've liked about this discussion is that we don't know <laughs> the last, no, we don't. last three years the last three years you could literally reel it off without thinking um, and it's a bonus I think that there are some variables down there that um, can get mixed around and get thrown around. It actually gives the coaching staff um, some options if things do go wrong. I mean, having uh, having Kunitz not even you know locked in for that that left wing spot means that if a player is playing well lower down the roster, you could reward them by putting them up there um, for not just a couple of shifts, but for a couple of games to see if it works. Um, if it works, leave him there, and then you end up with with Kunitz. So I think legitimately, if you ended up with Kunitz, Dupuy, and Sutter as your third line, I think those two wingers can actually help carry Sutter's poor possession, and it would probably hide him as a whole. That would be my hope, anyway. Yeah, you kind of beat me to that. If Plotnikov can can step up and be that left wing top six guy, um, Kunitz and Dupuy. That's great for Sutter. And and then you're talking about maybe even Bo Bennett playing on a fourth line, which I have no problem with if you're going the four-scoring line route. If, if you can put talented or, you know, non-plugs yeah. with Bo Bennett even in a fourth-line role, <laughs> that's good. That's, that's where I want to see the evolution of this team go. It, it'll, it's just one of those things where this it, it's kind of exciting as a, a Penguins fan because there are so many 
unknowns this year. I mean, it could all go ass up. It could all go terribly for them next year. But this is the first time in a long time where, as a Penguins fan, you've kind of got no idea what, what's really going on with the roster. You're not going in thinking, right, Eastern Conference Finals or bust. You're going in going, first 20 games of the year, it's actually going to be fun to watch because you've got no idea what's going on. I mean, you know, fingers crossed it could be the one here that all the Penguin stars actually stay freaking healthy yeah. and we, we get a legitimate, you get a legitimate look to see if there if they are actually a good enough side. Well, here's the nice thing about this discussion. There's been not one mention of Craig Adams, Zach Sill, Tanner Glass, Max Lapierre, anything of that nature. They've moved away from it. Are they explicit, they've actually even explicitly said there's no point having that kind of player now. The game's moved on. So they're at least talking it, and so far with their roster decisions, they're walking the walk as well. So as a fan of skilled hockey, it's it's a thumbs up to me. I get people that don't that, that want to see physical play and, and muck it down and grind at sort of hockey, not being happy with, with the change of direction. I appreciate that but I just don't like watching that sort of hockey. So it'll be a, a agree to disagree opinion in regards to how hockey should be played. Um, I'm glad the team's moved in this direction. Um, the league t- looks as though it's moving in this direction in regards to the way the teams are constructing their rosters. Whether or not the actual league itself allows rosters like this to succeed, we'll wait and see. And I guess the closest thing to those other names I just mentioned, uh, they did resign Bobby Farnham. I don't expect him to be a regular presence in the NHL. Uh, but the one thing that he has over some of those other, um, I guess for lack of better term, bums that they've had playing in their, their bottom six is guy can skate like lightning, doesn't have much skill, uh, but he also draws penalties, so there's that. That's... But he's not as and bad it... as some of those other guys, I don't think. But at the same time... I, I, I just don't think that's what you – I think if he's in a regular spot there, they've kind of made some mistakes. But the bonus of him drawing penalties is that this team is is stacked. And if you're drawing penalties and this team's power play percentage is below 20%, then it's the superstars that have failed. And you can't get there and, and lay it out on the bottom six or, or, other, or other options – uh, other areas so it's going to be on the superstars to perform and their power play it will be interesting to see whether they change the way that thing's set up I'd like to see them set up for that Malcolm one-timer and just run it through that um, like you've been advocating I think for basically the last well since they won the cup since Gonchar left really in, in 2010 it's never been the same um, so it'll be really interesting to see how they go about changing that up. I've I've done some X's and O's stuff in the blogs in the past. I basically gave away my high school power play that we run, and uh, <laughs> it's it's a great power play because it really creates all the two on ones that you could possibly want, and also creates multiple choices on how to uh, where to attack those two on ones. And even if you gave the other team what you were doing on a platter, that it would still create the two-on-one. They would have to commit one way or the other. And I think that Pittsburgh has been a power play that has been so perimeter and so to the to the right half-wall side because of the amount of lefties on it 
that teams just box in, they take away um, the shooting lanes for Malkin. And uh, the very fun thing about going into this year, if they do want to change some of the X's and O's, or even if they don't, Phil Kessel being on that left side as a true right-handed sniper will open stuff up because they will honor his shot. Whereas before yeah. they've had they haven't had a guy since Mario Lemieux on the left side to honor the shot where it's like, well, Jesus, we cannot let him just take that shot. Everybody else, it's kind of like, yeah, well, it's not Crosby or Malkin. We'll we'll take our chance with this guy. Yeah. But Phil Kessel is an elite goal scorer in the NHL. So that even if they change nothing, it'll still look better. But I still advocate. Um, more puck movement, more body movement, and uh, shorter, simpler stuff, and and getting Gino to lay that hammer down, I think, is a good idea. But Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Latang, there's four guaranteed to be on the power. That's pretty pretty good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they run with uh, Hornquist to just stand in front of the net and get hit with pucks, or Perron, or Kunitz. I mean, yeah. there's options there. Or do they um, go with Ali Mata or Derek Pouliot and just have yeah, and well, they have Crosby, Malkin, Kessel up front? There's arguments to kick Latang off the power play. Yeah, so, he, he does better than I probably give him credit for. Um, but there are times where I'm just like, Jesus, man, you are so talented. Why, why that? Why that play? <laughs> <laughs> like his talent, uh, it, and and I, I guess I'm admitting to falling into that that eye test trap of so many people. Like they they beat up on defensemen uh, like Latang sometimes because they they have the puck all the time, so you notice when they do things wrong. But they yeah. have the puck, so it's like they're doing great things to earn that many um, touches with it, kind of deal. But, yes. but his his raw talent's so amazing that I just get frustrated when he doesn't um, make the proper read sometimes. But easier said than done when you're, you know, kind of, you know, ask any player when they go up to the press box and watch the game. It all looks so simple. <laughs> yeah, no, I can I can appreciate I can appreciate that. So, so it's it's quite obvious that we really have no idea what's going to happen with that bottom six. Yeah, I mean, the, the, Rutherford has said he wants to get another fourth-line center, and I don't know where um, – I don't know if Mike Santorelli becomes that guy. He's still available. I don't know why Mike Santorelli would take a fourth-line position when I, I certainly think he could get third-line somewhere. I guess it all depends to his uh, – what he wants to do. We'll see. There's a, few out, there's a few out there that have to eventually fall to someone somewhere, so we'll see. Um, but I'll, and once again, that was Lyle Kosis' question uh, at Lyle Kosis. Um, and he does uh, a Garage League podcast with um, Andy Smith that I find uh, very entertaining. So uh, if you want to check those guys out, I'll give them their that plug. <laughs> Any other questions? Mm, a lot of them kind of 
you know, writing for the Penguins, I got a lot of Penguins bottom six questions, and I, I think we kind of pretty much. Oh, I think we nailed. And then it's some prospect stuff, but honestly, I don't know. I don't take much from these prospect camps, to be honest. I think you fall into that recency bias stuff. Um, Troy Loney, former Penguin, his son scored a hat trick today and had a actually a pretty pretty nice shootout goal when they did the shootout at the end. But you know, I don't know what does that mean for long term. Eh. <laughs> you just there's not enough hours in the day to pay close attention to the NHL and to the juniors. If you're not getting paid for it. No, but it's great that kid had a really nice day, but I, I don't know. I don't think it really means anything in the big picture. But a lot of those questions um, were kind of in that regard. So I think we pretty much covered it. Although, Garrick 16, <laughs> Brandon Sutter, ideal Crosby or Malkin line mate, and he's just kind of basically trolling me with that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good dude. Good Islanders follow. Um, but yeah, he's he, uh, actually yeah, very... he's busting my chops there. So, yeah, I think that does it. Um, apologize for the two weeks off, but uh, you know we're we're kind of in the dog days of summer. Uh, as we get going through, I assume we're we're going to get to talk about a Franzen signing, a Christian Ehrhoff signing, uh, any big forward Seven. about Eric Fair. Oh, Alex Simon, yeah. It's interesting. It's nice that his agent finally realized, uh, yeah, I guess we'll accept a one-year deal. <laughs> he should just sit on one-year deals every year. I mean, he's getting guaranteed money from his old contract. Just one-year deal and everywhere else. Still think he would have looked pretty great on Malkin's left wing. I don't... Oh, great. Man, I don't think there, there's any chance of that happening, but... I really think that would have been a good fit. Oh, well. No argument for me. Well, I suppose that does it. Looks like it. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, that does it for this week. We will see you... Um, well, I don't want to guarantee next week, but the goal is to, to do it weekly. So We'll get back to one every week when the probably hit September, I'd say. And we could for the rest of the summer. It was just, you know. Nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happens, you won't hear from us for about two weeks. If something happens, you'll you'll hear from us. So um, that's that's the deal for the summertime podcast. A little bit of um, loose rules. And um, perhaps some guests coming up in the future. So, hey! um, so there's that. All right. That does it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.